I'm Megan Sperline, news editor at The Vedette, the student voice of Illinois State University, and a reporter for WGLT. Welcome to Democracy's Future, a joint project between The Vedette and WGLT News. Over the next several months on this podcast, we will talk with the people who may have more of a stake in our future than anyone, but whose voices are often not heard in the usual discourse about politics, government, and voting. We're talking about young people, those who may be voting for the first or second time, whose thoughts and opinions are still being molded on a daily basis by what they see and hear from family, friends, classmates, the media, and of course, in the classroom. What do they think about America's future in our current form of government? Leaders in both major political parties say democracy is on the ballot in this year's election. Winston Churchill famously said, democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. We'll hear from students, educators, and others across the ISU community about democracy, how their views about politics and government have been shaped, and what concerns they may have about democracy's future heading into this year's elections. We begin with J.N. Nelson, a junior political science major from the Chicago suburb of Homewood. Benson directs the campus chapter of the American Civil Liberties Union. In this conversation with ISU senior and Vedette News and Features editor Emma Snyder, Benson explains she got interested in politics much earlier than most. I was born near an election time. When I was six years old, I was having a birthday party, and that was the day President Obama got elected. And I just remember my parents having very political conversations with me at home. That was something that I grew up on. We talked about politics, and my parents didn't always politically agree. So it would give me the opportunity to see nuance and see the like the blurs and the divisions of lines as far as parties. And so I feel like as a voter now, it makes it a lot easier for me to kind of remove like the media and other biases when I'm looking at information or when I'm looking at political content. And ever since I was a little girl, I knew I wanted to be a political science major and I wanted to go into law because I saw inequities in my community. I saw inequities in my family's communities and I wanted to be an active part in that change. And so I can really say I was like a little politically minded toddler, but you know, that's kind of where it started for me. What are some of the issues that you are most concerned about? I don't know why that's such a difficult question for me. I feel like being a political science major, I've I've gotten to a point where ranking issues by priority just doesn't feel right because all of them are equally important. Like, I feel like one way or another, any social issue we look at, whether it's the environment, racial justice, the wage gap, any of those issues, economics, if they're not addressed, they could become detrimental to our country. And so I find a hard time ranking issues personally But for me right now, I feel like my number one thing that I would want to see is more voters' rights as far as just removing the amount of inequity for voters. I see a lot of times in minority communities, people who work during the election days, they don't have election days off. Making election days a holiday was a really good move to allow for other people to vote. And I really do see the discrepancies in voting by populations. And so I really would want to see that change. Can you talk a little bit more about how your parents' political beliefs and growing up in an environment where you talked about politics influenced your own beliefs? Um, you know what? I feel like it it kind of because it was so open and I feel like that was more the most important thing. My parents didn't always agree politically. I didn't always agree with my parents politically, but having open dialogue and promoting those kind of conversations at the dinner table or wherever we were allowed for me to formulate my own decisions. And I do genuinely feel that even though both of my parents had a lot of influence on how I view politics and how I 
receive information politically, I feel like neither of them ever tried to make me feel like I should be a certain way or do a certain thing because of how they believed or what they saw. They would just present me with information and then we'd discuss it. And I feel like that's the kind of healthy environment. What other influences or people in your life helped shape how you view politics and how you form political opinions? I feel like when I was younger, I mean, pretty much my only real political influence was my parents. And kind of once I decided I wanted to be in politics, I kind of just put myself in circles where I would be surrounded by people who thought the same things, or not thought the same things necessarily, but were interested in the same issues that I was interested in. And one of the things, and one of the ways I did that was by joining Model UN in high school. I did Model UN all four years of my high school career. I traveled across the state of California. I competed in competitions, and you know, I feel like that really solidified it all for me as far as being you know, a diplomat or like an advocate or a catalyst for change. How has your experiences in Model UN helped to shape your political views and your your politics in general? I feel like being in Model UN gave me a lot of grace for politicians in the sense of I feel like a lot of times when you are young and angsty, like I was in my teens, I was just angry and raging against the machine and trying to, you know, see all the problems with authority. But I feel like Model UN taught me that there's nuances, there's levels. You can't just have it your way and just fix the world all at once. There's a lot of things you have to consider. And it kind of made me more mature in my mindset as far as what I can do as just one individual to change the world. And, you know, sometimes you need that. Even though a lot of us are activists, a lot of us care about things, when you misdirect your anger and your passion, it could lead you in bad directions. And so it taught me to kind of refocus. Over the last couple of years, how do you think democracy has changed? How would you define it over the last couple of years? I would definitely say there's definitely been a shift in the political view as far as how we as citizens view politics and I feel like that's definitely changed democracy. I feel like there's been a lot more challenging of our political system and challenging of the systemic and traditional values that we've been operating under and I feel like that has gotten so many more people involved especially in youth especially for women people of color the LGBTQ community I feel like a lot of more people are speaking out and being active in our political system. The polls show a growing number of young Americans are concerned about the future democracy or are skeptical about how effective it can be. What do you think about that? I think that feeling apprehensive is normal. I feel like especially as the youth, the decisions that are made for us today will impact us and our children tomorrow. And I feel like being active and being aware is the best way to kind of help ensure that the rights and values that we hold as younger people are protected. And so I think it's a beautiful thing. I feel like speaking your voice and, you know, really emphasizing the power of the First Amendment is crucial, especially as young people, because as we see in the Senate and in the House, the age average is very high. We don't, we're not very represented in government. So this is our time to be able to really speak out and hopefully have our verses heard. What would you say to people who feel like even when they do speak out, their voices aren't being heard? I would first of all say that's a very natural feeling. I feel like, you know, as individual people, we don't feel the strength and the power when we're activists because we don't feel the community and sometimes it might make us be discouraged as it pertains to going out there and being heard but I would encourage people to just keep fighting try to align with groups and organizations that reflect your values do your research you know really lean into 
unbiased information. Try to remain, like, stay. I would try to take a step back from partisanism only because a lot of times with the media, there can be, like, skews of information. The best way to be politically aware is to do your own research and make your own conclusions and not be swayed by outside influence. Do you think it's possible to kind of bridge this gap between the political parties that has opened up? I feel like it's possible, but I think it's going to take some time. I see the American government as kind of like a, a broken family, right? I feel like we all share the same blood, but we've got beef and we've got issues that go beyond just the surface of our country. And I think that other nations can see it as far as our international presence. And I feel like we need to have a real, I don't, I don't want to say power, but like a, a real conversation as Americans, as to what do we all agree on? What do we all want? And then we need to just make concessions until it happens. But the problem is no one wants to make concessions. So I think it will happen, but I think it'll take time. And I think it might even take generations of Senate changes and just progression within our country for the younger people who are young now to get older to try to bridge those gaps. But a lot of people say Gen Z is more partisan than the generations before. So I don't know, but it's gonna, it's gonna be exciting to find out. J.N. Benson says she plans to go to law school to study either international or criminal law. Wherever she goes, Benson says she wants to impact her community. Benson spoke with Vedette editor Emma Snyder. You're listening to Democracy's Future. Next on Democracy's Future, Ben Howell is a junior mass media student at ISU and a native of Coal City, about an hour northeast of Bloomington Normal. In this conversation with Vedette News and Features editor Kaylee Sugimoto, Howell says he's not satisfied with either of the leading major candidates for president, incumbent Democrat Joe Biden and Republican Donald Trump, and Howell sees that as a reflection of our current political system. I think it's it's absolutely flawed at a minimum, especially with the election that we are coming up to, um, a rematch of 2020, which is what every study I saw was an overwhelming amount of voters said that they absolutely didn't want. But what we're getting at, I think since as early as I can remember hearing people say the lesser of two evils, that um, for various reasons, you know, you and I could have two completely different reasons why we don't want to vote between these two people. So given through your perspective on and your political affiliation, how would you define democracy and what does that mean to you? The way I would define democracy, I always like to think of it as someone who is interested in history as both what it means and then kind of what we have it as. Of course, what it means is, you know, rule by the people, but typically what we have in our, what I guess would mostly be closely to like a constitutional republic would be um, our democratic, I think of our democratic values. Like, um, I think probably the most or biggest um Democratic uh, value, I guess, would probably be in voting or that's where it shows the most. So I would define it mostly as we see it as a, the people's hand in it, not necessarily control, but the people's hand in it, you know. Mm -hmm. So polls show a growing number of young Americans are concerned about the future of said democracy or are skeptical about how effective it can be. What do you think about that? And why do you think you have those opinions? I would say I would show probably still some moderate concern. I don't think I fear necessarily in <clears throat> immediate and impending like doom to our democracy, but 
I think when you look at some cases, and again, still in my work as someone who's practicing journalism, I hold fairness and object objectivity and neutrality presenting it to the people as the facts, despite my opinion, that when you look at events like January 6th, for example, which I think, honestly, if you're going to talk about government is almost unavoidable, with an event like that shows some concern to me, like even in the back of my head, like the very notion of that event kind of showed the potential at the very least that we would have to get rid of some of our democratic values or even historically we haven't always ethically practiced democracy either so i don't think i think history would show we're not you know if you don't learn history you're doomed to repeat it but even when we learn it sometimes i still think it's very possible that we can ignore or throw away those values at one person or one party's convenience do you think that it is dangerous for the american public to have a direct democracy I think overall that a tried and true democracy would be not very effective, at least for very long. I think the way we have our um, republic, for lack of a better term, set up is sometimes doesn't work so well, but overall we're here for nearly 250 years and countries that come after want to set up their government like ours sometimes it's pretty effective as it is. I've heard around campus or just from some other other of, a, like, of our students and peers that they don't think that their vote matters, that they're not going to vote because they don't think that it would make an impact and they shouldn't even try. What do you think about that statement? I think it's such such an interesting topic when you decide, does your vote matter? And I would say the bottom line, no matter what, no matter who you are, yes, your vote does matter because there's a difference, even how little it be, but something with like um, the Unit 5 referendum that we had, um, the, the tax, maybe I'm not defining it correctly, but the tax levy or the tax raise um, in the last midterm, that was a referendum, which is honestly one of the purely most democratic elections we can have because we're not voting for somebody to vote on it, we're voting on it. Right. And even though more people than, let's say, 500 voted on it, it takes 501 to pass to 500 to pass that referendum. You need more people. Uh, locality, especially in campus, is where your vote matters the most. It is understandable when you have um, like a general election and one candidate loses 70 million votes to 65 million votes or something. There's millions of votes in there. But to say your vote doesn't matter, I think, is almost maybe a little naive sometimes when you think about it. Yeah, well, well, thank you so much, Ben, for joining us here today for our Democracy Literacy podcast. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the potential of a third party just because you've disagreed or you haven't been completely on board with, it seems like, either Democrats or Republicans? I think if a, if a third party would work, it would be both fascinating and kind of scary in a good way <laughs> in a good way because um i know at one time indiana had a libertarian governor before i don't know if it was before mike pence but i knew he had run for on the libertarian party for um the general election i think third parties as they stand now um can serve a purpose in that um a candidate can stand up and they know they're not going to win in our system, but they can bring an issue to the table and force the people who are going to win to talk about it. 
Sometimes, though, it can also be dangerous. For example, um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is running as an independent. You face the possibility of him taking away votes from Joe Biden. How many votes he'll win in the general election, I'm not sure. But I think if a third party could work and have as much prominence as our two parties, I personally think it would be great for everybody. I think it would keep the, I think it would shake up politics and like shake up as in like hand on the lid of the jar and like violently shake it up. <laughs> but um, I think it would put new things into perspective. It would put new opinions on the table and it would for some part keep some opinions that don't get talked about or things that one party has to adopt. It would keep it out of their kind of like their realm, I guess. It would bring, I think, more topics to the table and I think I'd like to see it. You know, if it could work, I think it'd be really cool. Ben Howell says his ideal political candidate is one who could unite the country and protect reproductive rights. Howell spoke with Vedette editor Kaylee Sugimoto. Next week on Democracy's Future, you'll hear from two more ISU students whose politics are polar opposites, but share many of the same concerns about our country's future. That's in our next episode. Our thanks to Vedette reporters Emma Snyder and Kaylee Sugimoto, audio producer Ariel Jones, WGLT digital content director Ryan Denham, and WGLT news director Eric Stock. Please give us your feedback on this series and let us know if there are certain issues you'd like us to explore. Email us at news at WGLT.org. Subscribe to Democracy's Future on the NPR app or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week, I'm Megan Spurline. Spurline.